You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed in Markham, in Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan, in Stouffville, in Woodbridge, in Unionville. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer with York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Under normal circumstances, this time is often referred to as the dog days of summer. This year is anything but normal. For many, heading back to school in September is top of mind right now. That includes Ontario's 72 publicly funded school boards, more than 125,000 administrators and teachers, close to 2 million elementary and high school students, and their parents. In this next hour, we hope to answer some of your questions, address your concerns, maybe even ease your anxiety. Last week, the Ontario government unveiled its Education Restart Plan, a very complex framework for what is hoped to be a safe return to school on September the 8th. Its architect, Education Minister and MPP for King Vaughan, Stephen Lecce, joins us now on the feed. Thank you, Minister Lecce. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Well, the primary goal of your plan, as I understand it, is to keep students and teachers safe from COVID-19 while bringing them back into the classroom. So let's begin with elementary students. Critics are very concerned about class size. Are their concerns founded? Well, I think, you know, the aim of when it comes to getting kids back to school, just to be informed by the best medical and pediatric science that exists in the country. And we've consulted widely with leaders at SickKids and the Chief Medical Officer of Health. The overwhelming message to was that it's important for the wellness of these children, their development and their mental health to return to class. Our obligation now is to come up with a safe protocol. So, you know, I respect, of course, parents and the natural anxiety, I guess we all do, about for the first time having, you know, hundreds of thousands, upwards of 2 million children return to class in that setting after being home for a long time. I know that we have to make choices in the context of online versus in class. And I appreciate there's natural anxiety about that. But when it comes to getting elementary students in class, you know, I actually feel that the protocol supported by the public health leaders is really robust. It includes cohorting, aggressive cohorting, staggered recess and times and start times, the addition of $30 million to hire more teachers so that we can distance more. Keep in mind that we have the smallest classrooms in Canada by far in the earliest years. In grades one to three, there's a cap of 20 students. In kindergarten, for example, you know, there's two educators in the class, 13 to one ratio, which is the smallest, again, by far in the nation. And I also recognize that there's going to be aggressive screening and testing and about 1,300 additional custodians to keep those elementary schools safe. And there's so much more I can get into, but I'll just tell you that we put in place a protocol that is all about de-risking the circumstance, given that the public health authorities have told us that the older students will have a higher risk of transmission, a rate of transmission. And that's why in the high school, for example, we've applied for or opted for a adapted model, that half and half model, if you will, because the older students based on the emerging science is where the risk is higher. And I think that's why you see uh, the blended model, the 15 cap kids in a class being applied there, uh, whereas different protocols are being applied in elementary schools to ensure that the kids are safe. You mentioned just moments ago that you are committing money to hiring additional teachers and Mm -hmm. that you're going to try to keep class size down from what I think people are speculating that it's going to be quite high. In very clear language, can you tell me 
the number of teachers that you are proposing that you will be hiring and the maximum number of elementary school kids in a class? Well, the what we're asking school boards to do is to ensure that the averages that are in class today, that exist today, are actually the number in the class. We're really asking to respect that. So, for example, class averages in those kindergarten, in those grade one to three years, in around 20, we're saying to them we, we need those numbers to be respected and to work very hard to ensure that the numbers don't exceed the average. In the case where we see that a classroom, uh, that there's just not enough spacing, we're going to be hiring more teachers. It's hard to quantify the number because it's going to be application-based based on need. To be, you know, functionally, it'll be boards deciding, okay, in these following classrooms, we're going to need to hire additional personnel, and then we'll respond with the funding and with those supports. $30 million to do that. We've also set aside, as you know, we're the only province in Canada, when you compare us to other provinces in the nation, let alone the world, that has introduced mandatory masking from grade four and up. Uh, Alberta has changed their approach. They were not for masking, and now they're incrementally moving towards mandatory masking. I think what it's demonstrating is that we're leading when it comes to investments. We're spending more in Ontario than any province in the nation. But I recognize that there's more to do in this respect as well. So those who are concerned about the safety of their children might worry about the ability to physical distance if there is a classroom with 20 children in it. And they're not wearing masks if they're the really young ones uh, that are, that are in, in kindergarten through grade three and don't have to wear masks. Yeah, well, I mean, it's optional for those children under grade four. I mean, it's encouraged but not mandated because public health has suggested it ought not be mandated, whereas in grade four, a 10-year-old child, maybe a better sense of understanding, a better sense of understanding of uh, how to use it safely. But the bottom line is by having additional staff, by keeping the classroom size as low as they are, and by investing more in cleaning of the touch points within our classrooms, hiring more custodians, uh, and likewise aggressively investing, uh, I think, in areas like giving PP or you know, masks to every student, together with at least one meter of distancing, the cleaning, the additional screening, and of course, testing, together, as public health has said, the layers of prevention, the multitude of actions we can take and what keep these kids safe. So in every area, we're ensuring that there's funding, new resources, and more personnel to ensure the restart. I mean, we're the only province in Canada to have, for the first time, 500 registered nurses, public health nurses with um, uh, infection prevention uh, training in our schools to help counter the spread and ultimately to support testing and screening and symptom relief if it's required. Uh, that's really going to be important. It's, the, it's a differentiator no one has. And we've put in place $309 million more on top of the $700 million I spoke to you about about a couple of weeks ago that we put in place. And it's over a billion dollars when you think about the net new investment for September. I think when the Premier and I say we'll do whatever it takes, I really hope for parents out there listening, this underscores that fact. And we'll continue to go further if required. If the risk in any way increases or there's a new recommendation according to the emerging evidence, we will do it. We will not hesitate when it comes to uh, ensuring the safety of staff and, of course, our kids, because we know how important this is uh, for our society and for our economy and just for the development of these kids. We've got to get this right. And that's why when, you, when you're adding $309 million on top of the $700 million, it only underscores that financing and, and investments is there. It's going to continue to be there for our school boards and for our kids. So with all due respect, why wait until there is a problem? Why not a preemptive strike, which means at this point, reducing class size for elementary school kids so that it is at a level where I believe parents and your critics might feel a little more comfortable rather than waiting until a problem emerges and then act and react? 
Well, I agree with the premise. We, we're not waiting for a problem to emerge. We're proactively embedding public health before kids get into school. We're doing surveillance testing aggressively for all high school students in the province where the risk is higher. We'll be the only province to be doing asymptomatic testing. It's a soft swab, so it doesn't go all the way in your nose, just inside the cavity of your nose. It's not uh, invasive, but the point is, I agree, we have to be proactive, which is why the screening protocols are strengthened, the cleaning is, pro- is strengthened, the hiring of custodians is underway, the public health nurses are doing training. The fact that we've added more money in mental health and special education for those kids. And likewise, we're, we are putting money to train every single teacher and supply teacher on uh, public health and safety measures I think demonstrates a proactivity. So I agree, we ought not wait. All I'm simply saying to you is, you know, as you can appreciate, and there's a lot of emerging evidence. You know, we're, we're, the schools, communities, the medical community is constantly learning about this threat. And if there's new evidence that comes forth about another action the government could take that we just don't know today, I guess what I'm signaling is we are prepared to do it. And we have done it every step of the way. It's the basis why in high schools, for example, in those higher risk communities, we reduce the class size because the evidence points to the fact that if the older students have a higher rate of transmission than the younger students, that those facts can't be lost in the debate. This is a plan premised on the evidence of public health, the leaders in pediatric care. And that's why those decisions were taken. But I guess I, I just wanted to be very clear. If there's new perspectives shared by the leadership uh, in, in the medical, the pediatric community, scientific community, the government will not hesitate to act. You're listening to a special edition of The Feed. We're speaking right now with the Education Minister, Stephen Lecce. And let me ask you a personal question, if I may. I believe that you have young nieces. How do you feel about them going back into the classroom? You know, I think, and we're all naturally nervous, right? I mean, that's sort of expected. I mean, when you think about it, try to remove the emotional from this as, a, as an uncle or for a parent, but maybe it's impossible to do. But I mean, kids have been at home for, you know, uh, not in school for what will be six months. And now it's a time of choosing between in-class and remote. And I guess there's a natural anxiety about that. For the first time, we're now having to make those fundamental choices. And they're tough ones. So I think we all probably share a similar level of angst, which is natural. Uh, it's expected. I mean, I would argue it'd be unusual if we didn't have that, given the decision and given what we know about this outbreak. I think it's also exacerbated often by what we see in the U.S. and just some of the real difficulties and massive levels of transmission in community and uh, poor reopening plans, not informed necessarily by science. I mean, ours is. It's endorsed by the leaders in the medical community and by regional health authorities and the chief medical officer the associate medical officer of this province who have a duty, a moral obligation to ensure that when they sign it up, it is safe. I share that angst, but I also share an element of optimism that by working together, by putting in an additional $309 million, for example, more money, more hiring of custodians, more cleaning, more testing, and ultimately uh, more screening, my instinct is that it will be safe and that these kids can return to school and that we're going to do whatever it takes to ensure that they would continue to be safe throughout the year, no matter what hits us, including the flu or the flu season and all other challenges that could manifest over the coming months. We're going to be ready, and we're not going to let our guard down. We are seized as a government. The Premier and I are working literally around the clock to get this right. We know what's at stake. These are your children. These are our province's future. My heart is 100% committed to ensuring that they stay safe, and we'll do everything we can to do that, recognizing that, look, folks, we're putting you know, potentially you know, 2 million children back in class, always going to be challenges with going from, in this case, uh, no education to, you know, education in the problems. Parents have called for kids to go back five days a week. They really wanted to, uh, us to deliver on that. We have. We've done so with medical uh, guidance. We've done so with new investments. 
And we've done so with the leadership of the medical community, including listening to leaders of sick kids, which has given us the confidence to proceed today. What do you say to parents out there? Now, for instance, there are a couple of online petitions uh, right now, and they're growing in size and, and in intensity. You know, parents are expressing their concerns. We've heard from the opposition. We've heard from the unions. We are hearing from parents, and some of them are very concerned about the safety of their children. Well, I look, I appreciate that there's a natural angst about putting a child in a school when they've been home for six months. That anxiety exists, I think, period. And I, I mean, I've, and I've heard the concerns uh, by the you know teacher federations. I mean, uh, I know that a variety of teacher federations across the country have, uh, um, you know, are opposing their respective government's plans, including, as I understand, in British Columbia with the new Democrats uh, government there. I mean, I, I guess what I can say is you know, there's an element of consistency in that opposition, but I just really wish that we can collaborate more given the what's at stake. And my hope is, and we will continue to do this, is to work with all the parties to ensure kids remain safe. Uh, and that includes listening very clearly to the medical advice, because I think parents want government to be informed by evidence, science, and medical leaders, of first and foremost. And this plan has done that. There is a reason for colleagues, there's a reason for that, that medical leaders have come out to say that this plan follows that guide. The only problem is to do asymptomatic surveillance testing of kids, the only problem to mandate masking, the only province to have 500 public health services in place, and the first province when it comes to investments relative to every other province on a per capita basis. You just can't compare it. And that's, of course, more money for cleaning of buses as well. We put $40 million just to make sure the transportation side of it is safe. I know this is a multifaceted, complex decision, um, and uh, I recognize that this is a, a tough decision for parents. But I want you to know, as we've ensured you have a choice, first and foremost, Dan, as this government believes parents to deserve to make that choice. Not the government, not a bureaucrat, not a union member. You do as a parent. And we've opted, we've mandated that you get the choice of online or in person. If you go online, we've asked school boards to ensure that you could re-enter schools in person throughout the year at certain sort of re-entry points uh, that your school board will be permitting. So we're really trying to empower parents with options, with information, and with the level of confidence that public health leaders are saying that this plan proposed by the government is safe and ultimately going to keep their kids and our, and our community safe as well. And we've been talking about how to keep kids safe, but let's talk about faculty, about teachers. How do you keep them safe? You know, they may go from their home where they have children who are going to a different school. The teachers then go to work at a different school you know, back they go to their home and their children yeah. return home. I mean, it just, it sounds complicated and at some levels, slightly risky. You know, I would just say, you know, now that we're virtually in stage three in so many parts of the province and a lot of people have returned to work, many people continued working through the pandemic, seeing different people and mitigating the spread. And so for them, they've returned to work and they had to do that. And they've done so with clear health and safety protocols and you know, relatively speaking, we've seen, notwithstanding a massive increase of, of testing, I think north of 30,000, again, uh, reduction in the number of positive cases. I think we've had some, several days under 100, which is an incredible uh, reflection of the people of this province's good work adhering to public health. And if we continue to do that, we're going to ensure that kids can learn. I mean, the fact is our actions today will have a consequence of learning tomorrow. And our continued adherence and discipline and commitment to finding that curve are going to ensure a child can go to school each and every day this fall. But when it comes back to the, 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 the macro sort of decision point for the government, it was based on more investments, more staffing and more cleaning, as well as having that testing element. And if we do that together, 
those layers of prevention, students can be saved. When it comes to the staff, they've asked for PP to be provided. We're providing every day for every educator, including supply and staff, to have access to medical masks and a shield, reusable shield that will be provided for any staffer that requires it, which they all will. Uh, additional PPE for those that work with children with special education, for example, can will be provided. We've also, as the unions have said, they supported, they wanted masking of kids. We've done that according to public health from grade four up. So we've been able to do a lot in that respect. They want us to hire more custodians. We, we put aside $50 million to do that. And so I do believe that we are listening and we're going to ensure that they're safe too, because we have every interest in keeping them and their children and their families safe as well. So together, our staff and our students can return in September with more money, more screening, more testing, and ultimately a greater level and heightened level of health and safety adherence, uh, like hand hygiene uh, practices and sanitation hand sanitation and sanitizer in classrooms that are going to help ensure this September is a safe September. And I and I really do believe that we are well on track to do that. And we will continue to be responsive to the risk. We will continue to be there for our educators, for our parents, for the kids themselves. And if that requires more actions based on emerging evidence, we will continue to step it up uh, in every way. Last but not least, the kids themselves. What do you say to them directly here on 105.9 The Region about not being scared, about what they're going to see in school and how they're going to feel and all that they're going to experience in this new normal? I think, you know, my main message is it's going to feel a little different. It's going to look a little different. But at the end of the day, you're going to be able to return with your friends, with your peers, supported by your educators. Um, and you're going to be able to do what I think many young people love doing, which is uh, learning and learning uh, with their friends. And I think that's really fundamental. And I'm excited that uh, for many children, that they're going to be, I think, a smile on their face to go into a classroom and see their peers and see their teacher and be able to be kids. I also want them to know that they can play a really important role in helping their families and their schools and keeping everyone around them safe. And they have a really amazing opportunity to be part of that solution. Like I know so many young students, young leaders want to be. And to look forward to returning safely, knowing that they have a major role to play uh, as well in keeping distancing and hand washing and respecting um, those rules so that when they go home, that they're also safe for their parents, for their grandparents, uh, and for their siblings as well. So I think we're going to do this together, uh, and I want to wish them luck because they are. Uh, this is a historic moment. I think uh, we're not going to forget this year. I certainly won't, but I have a lot of confidence in the next generation, and they're young people. They care, and I know that they just want to get back to class, learn, and be with their friends, and I think we're building a plan that could do that in the most safe manner as possible. And that, for me, is a very positive thing for their development, for their mental health, uh, and for their own personal success. And I just want to reiterate, for those children that do face that anxiety, uh, maybe they had it already, or maybe uh, the new challenges have manifested, we put in place a significant investment in mental health to hire more of those psychologists and psychotherapists and speech therapists and social workers and the, 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 the medical people and leaders that they may need. Uh, to turn to if they need some help, they need someone to speak to. And I want them to know that there will be more help, more than ever before, in their schools uh, to help them get through any challenge or adversity they face in their uh, in their heart and in their mind. So we're going to be there for them. And I hope uh, they uh, look forward to returning with a level of caution and a level of optimism that they're going back and it will be safe. 
And let's not forget that most of their superheroes wear masks. <laughs> Minister Lecce, right. yes, thank you so much for joining us on the feed. Appreciate your time and your energy. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 105.9 The Region. I think they're doing the best they can with a very limited budget. I think they are not expanding that budget when they need to be. They need to be ensuring that there are spaces being used to accommodate smaller class sizes. And one of the things that, uh, to my knowledge, they have not explored is using municipal spaces, considering, you know, online high school and using high schools for elementary grades. I feel like there's some more creative design thinking that could have gone on with the province's plan. All of it really aimed around reducing the number of students in a class. The province gave guidelines to reopen schools mainly by emphasizing that everyone at school will be required to wear a mask. I think wearing a mask is fine. I wear one every time I go out in public and do my errands. But I see a large amount of adults wearing them incorrectly, either by not covering their nose properly or just the mask falling off their faces somehow. So in practice, I do worry that it will be very difficult for children to wear masks for that many hours at a time, especially for the younger children. I'm happy with it in one way that um, they will be with their friends, they will be able to see the teachers, um, they can get back to their normal routine, but I'm also concerned with it too. There's a lot of talk about kids returning to school, but it doesn't feel like much talk about the safety of the teachers and all of this. So I do worry a lot about the teachers and staff, especially those at higher risk and with family members at higher risk. The practical aspect of trying to teach under these very stressful circumstances seems like a lot to ask of teachers. I don't know how hygienic they will be at school because usually they don't wash their hands or they don't keep their hands off anything at school. So when it comes to this time, like when it comes to this situation, I'm not sure how they're going to handle it. So I'm very concerned about it. So this is Ben. And Ben, what grade are you going into this September? Grade five. And will you be physically attending school in September in person? Yes. And do you have any concerns about going back to school? Not really. Not really? Do you have even a little one? Not really, no. Do you feel any peer pressure to go back to school? No, not really. No. You're looking forward to it? Yeah. Time for our first break. When we come back, the critics take on the government's back-to-school plan. Stay with us. This is a special education edition of The Feed, only on 105.9 The Region. Do you have a story idea for The Feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of The Feed coming up. This is 105.9 The Region. Welcome back. I'm Ann Romer. This is a special education edition of The Feed on 105.9 The Region. 
The province's plan to get students back in the classroom has not gone without criticism. Tina Cortez with the opposition's take. Mart Stiles is the NDP education critic, and her party is not supportive of the government's back-to-school plan. I guess that's a bit of an understatement, isn't it? It certainly is. Uh, we are very unsupportive of the plan. Uh, I would call it a so-called plan, and uh, we we are hoping that the government will see some sense and actually uh, provide a, a better plan with uh, better resources and funding so that our kids can remain safe and healthy and our, and our staff too. So, Mark, can you take us through what you say are the flaws in the province's plan? Well, I think first of all, you know, we, we certainly understand that uh, there are going to be, um, there are going to be Lots of discussions about the, the proper numbers, et cetera. But I think it's fair to say, and based on everything we've learned and what uh, certainly parents' fears and staff fears are, that the government plan to particularly put uh, elementary students back in um, in status quo cl- cramped classrooms in many parts of the province is uh, is is very worrying. And, you know, we have been calling, about a few weeks ago, I introduced in the legislature a motion asking the government to introduce an emergency action plan on education so that we could actually move more quickly, put the kind of resources in place, including uh, additional staff, um, additional resources for cleaning and other PPE, um, but also just simply creating more space. Because what we know is that uh, it's going to be very, very difficult for our children and staff to maintain the kind of physical distancing that we are being told is important uh, in the current uh, plan. Now, we've heard from the uh, from the education minister a little earlier in the show. He said they've hired more public health care nurses that are going to be in the schools. There will be enough spacing. There will be no more than the maximum number of students in the classrooms. And boards are supposed to alert them when they are getting over that number. So what else is the government supposed to do? What What is the resolution here that you see? Well, I mean, the minister, when he says that, he makes it sound like there's a, re- a set number of kids allowed that's somehow smaller than before. It's not. Um, in non what they call non-designated areas of the province, uh, they're going to have um, for school as normal. So most most kids in this province will be returning to school just like school existed last September a year ago. The same size, size classes, so that could be 30 kids, it could be 25 kids. Uh, in our kindergarten classes, it's usually 30 plus. So, you know, this is, let's be very clear, when the government talks about cohorts and two large classes, I, I they are not reducing class sizes except in some areas of the province where they're going to have high school students be in smaller numbers of 15. Um, and so, and that means that from kindergarten to grade 8, uh, students will be in those same classrooms that we know the government has actually increased the size of over the last few years. Uh, the, the premier himself said a few weeks ago that he did not want to send students back to, uh, to crowded classrooms. And yet here we are uh, doing exactly that. So he can, they can try to pretend like this is some sort of a, a cut or that there's some flexibility for boards, but there really is none uh, in the current plan. You were a school board trustee. What should the school boards be doing right now ahead of that September start date? Well, it's a terrible position for school boards to be in. And I, I do want to I, I acknowledge that, you know, since the pandemic began, 
uh, it is school boards that have come up with the plans and the creativity and and the innovation in this emergency situation and to try to continue to, to deliver some kind of education. And they were the ones that, you know, dispersed technology to students and families. And, you know, they've done incredible work, actually. It has not been perfect, but they've worked with what they could. And then for the last, oh, goodness, four months or more, they'd be focused, of course, on what would happen in September. And every couple of weeks, the government has changed their plan. They have added something new or taken away something or, and then as of last week, completely derailed all the plans that boards had in place. So I really feel for all the people who work for school boards who are scrambling right now to figure out how to make this work. And I have to say as well, you know, many boards are dealing with issues like, of course, busing, which is going to be extremely complicated, and people are very concerned about that. Some would say it's easy to sit on the other side of the aisle to be the critic. <laughs> what would you do if you were education minister? Well, I can tell you the first thing I would have done is actually assembled a, a task force or a, a committee to, which included people from the front line. To, with healthcare, absolutely, but also those frontline uh, education staff who who work with our children and the education experts out there. Um, I would have had all those people at the table to help come up with the plan because there's, in my experience as a trustee and uh, certainly and myself, you know, years ago working in government, you you really you really need that frontline experience to to ensure that things work. Um, and then the second thing I would have done is said, look, you know, we like everything else. Uh, we have we have turned around some pretty amazing programs. Uh, we've done remarkable things in this pandemic. Uh, let's throw everything we can at this because, I, you know, if I was this government, this would have been my number one priority. And I'll tell you why. Because unless we get kids back in childcare, back in school, families feeling confident in that, we will not get our economy back together. So it's, it's not only a health issue, which of course it is very much so. But we will also not have the economic recovery. So education is absolutely critical. And I think it's really shameful, actually, and surprising, truthfully, that uh, we've gotten to this place where just four weeks before school starts, we're having to reinvent the plan for back to school. So just so I understand this, are you suggesting that this wasn't the number one priority for the government? Oh, without question. I mean, how could it, how could it be? They focused on... They even set up a committee at Queen's Park, a finance committee that's looking at economic renewal and, and recovery after COVID. And we asked them as the opposition to include education and childcare as part of the issues they would look at, and they refused to put it on there because they don't see it as part of that conversation. But it is. It's crucial. And we are seeing that now. We're seeing that in the number of families that are already dropping out of the workforce that will not return to work in the fall. Uh, many families where the government says, well, you have a choice of whether or not to send your child to school, but that choice may mean that they don't return to work. And so that is um, absolutely going to impact economic renewal, and I don't think this has been the priority that it should have been for this government. In a kind of strange way this year, doing a big portion of their learning online again, that did not work for many students. It's always it's been a it's kind of emergency situation, so a lot of them did what they could. But I think I understand what parents are here are feeling, and I, I really would encourage them to write to their MPP, email their MPP, call the premier, call their MPPs, especially if they're government conservative MPPs, and be sure they know how they're feeling. Because I think that 
Uh, I think the government, I think it comes down, frankly, to money. I think this is about not spending the kind of money that would be required to ensure a safe return to school. And I think the government needs to hear from voters that they're unhappy with the situation and that they believe this is a priority. So that's why I would say, and I would also say, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help as a parent for your child, for yourself, because it is, um, it's been a really difficult, anxious time for many people, and we need to take care of each other. Merritt Stiles, NDP education critic. Thank you for joining us on the feed. It was a real pleasure. My pleasure, too. Thank you so much. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. It was really, really challenging because we only have the two laptops in the house, uh, my work laptop, my husband's work laptop, and my husband had a full-time job or has a full-time job, and I am a teacher, and I had to be, for my school, I had to be online teaching in Zoom every day. Um, So we were just jumping back and forth, running up and down between the one office space we have, trying to get the kids on there, Google Meets, me trying to teach my class, my husband trying to be on his calls. It was not sustainable in any way, shape or form. It was brutal. Uh, It was very tough. Like with my son, who's in grade um, seven, he was able to manage it with it. But with my daughter, she wasn't managing it at all. She was very frustrated that I'm giving all the work to her instead of the teachers giving. So it was kind of frustration and I'm not happy with it either. I think the education minister has given very broad guidelines to reopen schools. And the bulk of it will be... um, place on the individual school boards to implement them. And I worry that school boards won't have enough time to make it all happen for September. There's so many moving parts and it doesn't seem like the budget will be um, enough to make the school safe for the children. So regarding the students that are opting for the online versions, I hope that there's a lot of effort being placed on building a strong online learning platform because I think it's going to be important for the year, especially if they close and reopen schools. What grade are you going into this September? Eight. And you'll be physically attending school in September? Yeah. Is there anything concerns you about going back to school? Um, not really. Yeah. It's just how we're going to like... How is it going to act like it's normal here, or is it going to be different since it's COVID-19? Yeah, yeah. Do you feel any peer pressure at all by... Not really, because it's like during March break, it's been a long time since I've been to school, so you want to see everybody and like interact. When we return, union reaction to the back-to-school plan and a petition that is picking up steam, this is a special edition of The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Stick around. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region.
Welcome back. This is a special education edition of The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. When high school students return to the classroom in September, wearing masks is not the only change they can expect. Jim Lang with the perspective from the OSSTF. The Ontario School Teachers Federation represents about 60,000 members across the province. Joining me to talk about the province's back-to-school plan for high schools is Muna Kadri. She's the first VP for District 16 for the OSSTF. Muna, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you today? Well, well, I'm excellent. Before I get into your personal story, our daughter, our our youngest daughter, is going into grade 12. Our oldest is in second year university. But this one thing that concerns Cassandra and all her friends is the social aspect of getting back to school and how that's going to work is how is it going to work for high school kids who feel that as important it is to be academically smart and educated that social education they receive as well so i think our uh, senior students are most well equipped to deal with the virtual social world i think for us you and i because we didn't grow up with instagram we didn't grow up with facebook we didn't grow up with twitter We don't see socialization as something that's happening largely online. So even when students are in school, teachers will tell you, a lot of their socializing is happening through their cell phones. So they've adapted to that before this even happens. So I'm I'm actually not too concerned about that. But the beauty of the hybrid model that the York Region District School Board did introduce for secondary students is that there is an in-class component. Yes, with smaller cohorts, but they'll be able to go in and socialize at times and then be safely at home where they're able to socialize online and get their education online. From an educator's standpoint, Muna, after everything that happened with the lockdown at the end of the year, I I get a sense as a parent that the kids will actually look forward to school the days they're there with their friends in that small cohort. Absolutely. I absolutely think students will prefer being in class. I mean, last year when we had our um, work disruption, when the Ford government tried to mandate e-learning, We were advocating against it because we knew from students that they preferred to be in buildings. They prefer to be face-to-face with their education workers. They prefer to be doing things like extracurriculars in the buildings. So we know e-learning is the second choice, but we are in a pandemic. So the hybrid model gives them a bit of both. You're the first VP for District 16 in the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation in the region. How many schools does uh, District 16 represent, Muna? 33. Wow. That's a lot of teachers yeah. and, a, and, a, and a lot of kids. And we, we talk about the stress, anxiety, and the challenges of kids in high school dealing with everything. But what about the teachers? How, how often is the union and union representation help teachers get through all this? I, I would say it's the number one issue that education workers are dealing with right now, their mental health and well-being. As we're going through planning with the board about the opening of schools, what we keep emphasizing is, Our education workers are afraid that they're going to be exposed and die. That has a serious toll on their mental health. So the supports that are put in place as we open are essential for secondary teachers. We know the stress levels were high before this happened. This has put them over the top in a way that I can't quantify. It's truly, truly terrible. Oh, I can't, I can't even imagine. I mean, I, and that's the thing. I think it's been lost. And my wife and I were talking about this the other day, Muna, that it's one thing for Cassandra and her besties to get ready for school and deal with stuff. But what about the teachers? And what about someone who's done this for so long and they have a family of their own? There's, there's that to consider as well. They're not robots. You know, the other day, an organization, I think, was offering free will preparation for education workers in the province. What it must feel like. People need to sort of wrap their minds around how absolutely horrifying it is 
that that's what we have going on right now, that a very serious risk for our education workers is that when they enter the classroom, they could contract a disease that could kill them. And for our more experienced teachers who we value in the buildings because of their experience, they've got extra layers to think about because what we, we know what the COVID data is for them. Obviously, you, you've spent your life as an educator. You're very involved with the union, especially with a, such a prestigious position as the first VP. But you're also a parent with a child going into grade one. How do you balance your union and teaching and education responsibilities without it being a parent? Very delicately, because <laughs> the lens from a union rep who represents teachers is very different from the lens of a parent who's advocating for their child. But I think it's made me better in both worlds to be able to see things from a variety of perspectives. But my son, I always say, has won the birth date lottery in elementary school because only grades one to three have class caps. He's going to grade one, so he will be in a class of 20 to 23 students. And that's just because the elementary teachers union negotiated that. Every grade outside of grade one to three is 29 plus kids. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I know uh, Cassandra and a couple of her courses did pretty well with their online learning and, and didn't mind, but not every child reacts well to online learning and needs more auditory or visual learning. What was some of the feedback from your teachers in the union about how kids responded to online learning from March to the end of June? There were, a, there were layers of issues, I would say. Socioeconomic status was one of the biggest issues. So that meant access to technology, access to internet. Uh, and the ability for each child in a home to have access to those things. So we had families that had three or four children in the home, but two computers. How did you equitably distribute distribute who would have access? Also, we know highly motivated students do well in e-learning scenarios, but students who need more motivation and more one-on-one support from a teacher, it's hard to do that digitally. You know, when I was a teacher, I'd walk around the classroom and use proximity to engage a student, to bring them back into the lesson. I could tell with the visual cues whether they were paying attention or not. It's impossible to do that virtually. So we have a huge cohort of kids who will um, who will be struggling and potentially fall behind in a virtual world. So it adds a layer for our teachers to adapt to in September about bringing them back in and how do we engage them in that environment. I know you're dealing with high school kids, but also you're gro- you're grooming them for post-secondary and the life beyond high school. Have you received any feedback from universities, colleges, trade schools on how they're going to view the kids who did sort of that half in class, half online and in this new hybrid way of learning their marks and their education? That conversation hasn't happened at all. My concern, not so much with that, is that applications to many programs now require a lot of extracurriculars. And they're looking for experiences outside of the classroom. How are our grade 12 students going to do that in this environment? How are they going to develop an application that shows that they've done a variety of things when they're being locked down at home for online learning? Of course. I just, I just sort of dawned on me when you said that. I mean, the volunteer hours and all the other stuff that goes into it. That's an absolute great point, Munam. It's how do they show these schools that, hey, I've done different things and then at this date it stopped? And so if we look at the York Region District School Board's model for high school that was released yesterday at their board meeting, a teacher in a class would see their class cohort for about four weeks face-to-face. The rest of the interaction would be online. I used to get asked for reference letters all the time for students. It's more difficult to develop that rapport with a student to be able to write those letters if I'm only seeing them for four weeks in a semester face-to-face and the rest is online. So a lot of that is something that we're going to have to navigate and we haven't thought about yet that 
those will be those challenges that grade 12 will have to deal with. You know, Muna, I, I know some people think, oh, the teachers, they, they have it so good, blah, 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 blah. But I think a lot of what's happened in the last six months has opened the public's eyes to even the harshest critics, the role of the teacher, the importance of the teacher, and to the student and to society in general. I think what parents came to realize, and what I realized as the mother of a senior kindergarten when he was doing it, is I'd say more than half of teaching is classroom management. It's about relationships with students in the classroom. So content is one thing. Anybody can put content on a computer. Anybody has access to information through YouTube or whatever it is. But the teaching part is so, so difficult. And I think that's what parents realized, that we just couldn't hand the materials and said, hey, can you take over and go from here? It's almost impossible. No, I couldn't agree more. So well said. Thank you so much for taking the time to enlighten us about what the challenges of the teachers heading into September and what just completely uncharted waters for everybody. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. And all the best to you and your members of the Teachers Union. Have a fantastic day. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. We move from the OSSTF to elementary teachers next on the feed. And joining us is Darren Campbell, and he is the president of the Elementary Teachers Federation, York Region. Darren, welcome to the show. Happy to be with you, Tina. Thank you. Now, we know from the province that elementary students will be back in the classroom and that those in grades four and up will be wearing masks. How do your members feel about the province's plan? Our members are sharing with us that they are extremely concerned about the province's plan um, for the return to, to school. Um, we believe it is severely flawed and is grossly underfunded. Um, in terms of the mask wearing, as you said, it's only mandatory for grades four to eight, um, and it encourages students in grades kindergarten to, 13, uh, to three to wear masks. This is problematic because the government is at the same time not reducing class sizes, and younger students are more active and have less self-regulation, and this will make physical distancing even more difficult in those younger grades, but certainly across the school. So what would have been the right answer here? What did you want the province to do? How can they fix this? Well, our provincial body has been very active in, in providing information to the, uh, to the government, which um, has largely gone unheeded, I'm sad to say. Using cohorts to ensure physical distancing, and cohorts are smaller groupings of students, to keep physical distancing, students and educators um, within that, um, outside of that two-meter guideline that public health has been putting forward as, a, as necessary, it's really the government has ignored aspects of the Hospitals for Sick Children's report that they refer to in some ways, but they omit the, uh, the pieces around the physical distancing. So that's very concerning. We need adequate funding for supports to address equity gaps, um, technology, Wi-Fi, and staff, and as well as improved health and safety protocols that are, are funded and um, supported within the schools. Is there still time to change the plan, do you think? Because we're, you know, we're about a month away from the start of the school year. Well, my perspective is the planning has been kind of too little too late, um, but to, to your point, is there time to, to change? Yes, we're not back in schools. The um, the government could make a, a different choice. They could fund properly. They could um, listen to the stakeholders and incorporate more of the, the advice, and that would include public health. Um, so, yeah, I believe there's still time, but it's going to take a decided move on the government's part to, uh, to shift this into a more safe situation. 
Now, earlier in the show, the education minister, he provided details about enhanced cleaning protocols, additional custodial staff, more public health nurses. Beyond changing the size of the class, what else can the government do to make teachers feel comfortable in their own environments? Well, I didn't hear the uh, the announcement from the, the minister but that you're referring to, but previously the numbers and funding that was released on this uh, are, from our point of view, woefully inadequate to actually meaningfully impact the protocols within the schools and the nursing situation. Uh, if you start looking at that and you start dividing it up amongst the number of schools that there are in the province of Ontario, then it becomes very clear very quickly that it is very not not significantly positive in terms of the ability to actually have a positive impact. Now, this stumbling block of class sizes is not new. The The unions and the province have gone head-to-head on this even before the pandemic. Do you really think realistically that this will change ahead of the September start date? We, we believe that it really has to in order to increase the safety for both students and uh, staff within the school. And in the original communications that the ministry sent out to the school boards, it is our understanding that they asked them to look at um, three different plans. And one of those plans was an adaptive model, sometimes called the hybrid, where there is a mix between online learning and face-to-face learning, where you would be able to reduce the number of students by half, and the number that was being utilized most frequently was 15 students in a cohort. So you would have the ability to physically distance students within a confined space with limited airflow, such as a classroom, to spread them out. Because instead of 24 or 30 or upwards of 30 students, you would have a lower number. So that's a critical piece that has been left out of this plan. Now, you represent the teachers. Before we wrap this up today, what is your message to parents in York Region? We don't message directly to parents. We're in conversations with our school board. We understand that our school board, our employer, will be messaging to parents. Uh, I'm also a parent, so I get those uh, communiques. And I don't want to speak for the, the school board, but you know they are trying to figure out how to make this work logistically. I guess what I could say, because I'm a parent, is I want to keep my kid as safe as possible, and I do want and value the education. It's really about doing this in a right way that is going to have safety first, as the minister and the premier have said many times, but it's going to take funding in order to achieve that so the kids can get back and get on with their education. Darren Campbell, president of the Elementary Teachers Federation, York Region, thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks, Tina. My pleasure. Parents and teachers are expressing their concerns in a number of ways. Afuaba with one mother's online petition. We now know what the back-to-school plan looks like in Ontario for elementary school kids, but parents and teachers are voicing their concerns, saying the plan isn't safe enough for children. Kelly Iggers is a parent, but also an elementary school teacher in Toronto. She started a petition hoping to get the attention of the provincial government. Kelly joins me now today. Kelly, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. So first off, um, tell me about uh, your work. Um, Well, I'm an elementary teacher um, in Toronto. And um, on Saturday, I started a petition um, voicing some demands for the Ontario government that um, 
I have been feeling and that I know I've been sharing with others uh, in the community. Um, so the petition is demanding a safe return to school with smaller class sizes based both on the uh, evidence that we have for what can work for a successful return to school and based on the um, advice from our experts at Sick Kids. If you can just maybe touch up on some of the concerns that you have and some of the concerns that you've heard. Absolutely. So um, the concerns are that the current back-to-school plan, which has full-size classes returning in uh, elementary school, meaning in many of our elementary grades, classes of around 30 students, the plan doesn't follow the evidence. We have evidence from countries and regions that went back to school in the spring, um, but it can be done successfully without a surge in cases. Um, the key to that, or what we see in common among all of these countries and regions, is um, a back-to-school plan with smaller class sizes. We also need to be following our expert advice. And the Ontario government is claiming uh, to be following the advice of the experts at Sick Kids, when in fact this plan absolutely disregards the priority recommendation uh, made by Sick Kids to prioritize um, reducing class sizes in a safe return to school. Since uh, the, the launch of the petition and, of course, these concerns, what's some of the feedback that you've heard so far from parents to teachers, from even to uh, local groups that are concerned about this? Yeah, I've really been overwhelmed by messages of support from whether it's from uh, fellow parents and teachers. I, I, although I'm a teacher, I'm, I'm also a parent of a student who or a child who will be entering junior kindergarten um, and also from other community members who are neither parents nor education workers. I'm hearing from people who um, who don't have children, who don't have grandchildren, but who are voicing these concerns that this is not a safe back-to-school plan for Ontario. Because we, we have to recognize that this isn't just about the schools. This isn't just about our children and our education workers. If we have school transmission, our students, their families, our education workers, our members of our communities in Ontario. If we have school transmission, we will also have community transmission. Premier Ford mentioned in during one of his pressers, uh, this question, of course, came up with the concerns about the, uh, the back-to-school plan. And he says he, as a parent, he would be concerned too, but the other option would be to not take their kids to school and basically keep them at home. What's your response to that comment? Some are saying that parents just don't have that option to do that. Absolutely. That you bring up what I think is the other key issue or major concern with this plan, which is that parents don't have that option. Yes, Premier Ford has said, and, and the plan um, that is uh, being uh, presented to put in place allows for parents to opt out. But the fact is, practically speaking, most parents in Ontario will not have that option. We're going to have a situation where families with the most privilege may be able to take advantage of that option if they choose and pull their children out either to support them at home with online learning or uh, perhaps to turn to private options, whether that's private schooling um, or uh, hiring a, a private teacher uh, to teach in a neighborhood pod. But these options are not available to most Ontarians. So the issue here is that we have a plan that doesn't meet an appropriate standard of safety for Ontario families and communities. And only, only very few families will actually have any choice in this. And the other issue is that if we have a situation where 
Ontario families with the most privilege are prompted to exit the public education system. Those families, in many cases, will be taking with them um, powerful voices, some of the most powerful voices, to advocate for a properly funded education system. So there's a real concern here that this back-to-school plan could have some really damaging long-term implications for public uh, education in Ontario. I think we, we all need to be very concerned. What do you want to see happen after the petition? I, I want to see some real change. I think that um, the Ontario government needs to uh, listen, needs to recognize that people in Ontario are saying that we demand better and we do not accept this plan. Um, I, uh, I think that we need to see a response from the government and we need to see the government acting on the evidence and the advice of experts and putting into place a safe plan for for our communities. And what's your final message to parents and teachers? I encourage them to sign a petition. Um, they can find it at uh, www.change.org slash Ontario Demands Better. Um, I encourage them to uh, share and spread the word. I encourage them to contact uh, Minister Lecce, Premier Ford, and their local MPPs directly, both by phone and by email, to make sure that these concerns are uh, being directly communicated as well. Um, and just continue to, let's continue to raise our voices um, to make it clear that Ontario demands better. Okay, we're looking forward to September and we'll be keeping a close eye on any response that may come from the provincial government. Thank you, Kelly Eggers, for your concerns and for keeping this discussion going. Thank you so much. If you missed any part of our special education edition, please go to 1059theregion.com. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.